This is a Beggy Sisa podcast. We've just recently learned of a paramedic while they were treating a patient and they got shot. When I get a call that it's Nansford Hostel, like I, I normally just pray. Paramedics in South Africa are under threat. They're getting mugged and assaulted when going out to save lives. The Western Cape Health Department reports that there were 60 attacks on ambulance workers in the province last year. And the city of Johannesburg says there were 27 in the city alone. Welcome to this edition of our podcast. I'm Mia Malan. Our reporter Paul McNally went on a ride with a paramedic team in Soweto on a busy Friday night to see for himself. This report is voiced by Masehu Rachlacha. 5147. 05 Romeo 4. We're riding with paramedic Maria Mazibogo. We're heading towards a call for an elderly woman who has suffered a stroke in her home. But on the way, we're pulled over to assess another incident. Air control, take note. I'm at Pinville, but um, I was stopped by a gentleman here that also required an ambulance. Uh, They've got a patient uh, with seizures. We are in the first responder vehicle. Assured that people will come for the other patient that Mazibugo has mentioned, we set off to our stroke victim. But Mazibugo is sceptical about what awaits us. We've just recently learned of a paramedic that was shot while they were treating a patient and they got shot. That was a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Yes. So you, you worry if... Because they are colleagues, at the end of the day, we do the same thing. You worry if I'll go home safe, I'll, I'll get to see tomorrow. But you are here because it's a calling and you love what you do. And as we get closer to the patient, we realize Mazibugo is scared because the call could be fake. It could be a setup to lure us into a home. There might be no stroke victim. Instead, robbers could be waiting for us on the other side. So is there a way to assess now if it's a real call or, a, or not a real call at this point? At this point, no. There is no way to assess. What are you feeling? At the moment, I'm just calm. Probably because it's easier when you have someone with you in the rig. Um, okay, so usually you're alone. Usually I walk alone in the car. So there will be that form of, okay... Am I going to be safe? The fear of, am I going to be marked? But you find comfort in knowing that when you get there, you hope that they need you and nothing will happen to you. If a call is in an area designated as a red zone, the paramedic team is meant to receive a police escort. But cars and cops aren't always available, and without the police by their side, workers are left vulnerable. Because we carry morphine, we carry... Um, adrenaline, we carry mm. all these sort of... They want to take your drugs. They want to take. So they will take bags. You'll be treating a patient, the next thing you turn, your jump bag is not there anymore. Jeez. Yeah. And that's drugs that are meant for a patient, obviously. They're, those are meant for patients. So then, I mean, and also it sounds like there's an op- a possibility that if you take too long, the family might turn on you. Yeah, that has happened, where when you take too long, you get there and the family is violent. Um, violent? Yeah, they, they, they tend to be violent. Others tend to be violent. I went to one call where 
it was a family member that was banging on the car and saying that but they said they've dispatched you a long time ago you took your own time where were you and I, w- I just stayed in the car and I said control I can't go out there's uh, a gentleman here that's doing one two three there has been an appeal to the metro police to accompany paramedics but some say if emergency workers are armed it makes them more of a target critics argue criminals will be drawn to not just stealing drugs but guns as well in December last year, the president of the South African Emergency Personnel Union, Mpom Bukheng, called on all the organization's 7,000 members to arm themselves over the festive season. But this has been met with widespread derision. And do you think that you can put in anything in place that can prevent these things from happening? Bulletproof car will only work when you're in the car. Right. But now what about when you go to a squatter camp and you have to leave your car here and then walk into the squatter camp because now the road in there are small the car can't actually go like we have this squatter camp here along Barra, where you you can't go in with a vehicle you need to put it at a safe distance and just walk with your equipment in there Mm. and you're carrying a lot Mm. but should i have been the first responder i need to take the monitor i need to take the jump back i need to take the oxygen i need to take a vent i need to take everything in you're like piled up i'm piled up and now if i'm approached by a hostile person with all that equipment they're having to run back to the car it's far so in that instance a bulletproof is not going to work for me Mazibugo puts her foot on the accelerator and we turn into the road where our call is situated it's residential but the road is empty Mazibugo parks the car she loads up her gear and we walk through the gate. Still, no people to be seen. We hold our breaths, expecting hoodlums. There is a palpable relief when the sick woman is presented to us. This isn't a setup. This woman is slumped on a couch and has lost movement in the left-hand side of her body. Mazibugo checks her over. With facial asymmetry, um, vitals at the moment. The patient is hauled into the ambulance and we follow behind in our first response car. We're taking her to the Chris Honey Baragwanath Hospital. So we're heading into Barra now? Yes, now we're heading into Barra. Mazibugo reckons our patient is going to be okay. Do you think this woman's gonna- we can't record inside the hospital, so we wait in the car. Mazibugo believes that the rate at which these incidences are occurring is escalating. And data confirms this. Leanne Brady is a researcher for the Emergency Medical Services at the Western Cape Health Department. She also works for the Health Policy and Systems Division at the University of Cape Town. We are now collecting data on these incidents. We didn't before. Many, many paramedics will argue that before they were protected in the neighbourhoods that they worked in. They weren't seen as targets. So people on the ground really feel like that has changed. And well, I there guess was a sort of respect. Oh, you mean when you say protected, they were like seen as a no-go area? Exactly, right. exactly. You know, that, that they were, um, people would look out for them while they were recessing someone in a household, for example, and they feel that that has changed. Brady says some communities in the Western Cape are trying to find solutions. For example, in public dialogues in Tafelsuch, we've seen people coming together, grappling with what could be done differently. You know, so we have women living down the street from the from the clinic, asking what they can do to support, how they can make sure that paramedics are kept safe when they know they're coming. We have people who have signed pledges to keep paramedics safe. Before I send by, 
control, please take note. Uh, the patient has been handed over at Baraguana, um, available for our next call. Where we are going to be called to next will determine how safe we are. Mazibugo says the hostels are the scariest. She decides to drive past one. So we're going to pass at Nansville. It's one of the hostels where you'll find most of your shootings coming from. It's a red zone. Then. It's a red zone. Um, that's where we will then go with subs. And more especially when it's a shooting, we don't compromise. No subs, no entry. Because the person that's firing the firearm could still be there. Is this the worst place for you to be called into? In this is the worst. When, when, when I get a call that it's Nansford Hostel, like I, I normally just pray first. So that's the entrance day. It's the entrance going. Jeez, it's like pitch black. Very dark. Yeah. A call suddenly comes in. It's an assault. The police are already there. We're told there's a crowd. Mazibugo says it could be a case of mob justice. She drives fast. Our adrenaline is pumping. We're worried about an angry mob turning on us. People who don't want to see the man they've beaten up helped. We see the police van far off at the end of the road. There's a crowd. As we get closer, though, it seems calmer. We move into the front yard, and a man covered in a blanket is lying on the porch. He looks to be in his 40s. Two dozen somber people are fixated on the man. There was no mob justice. The police had been called by mistake and rumours spread. In reality, the man had a seizure and collapsed, bashing his head as he hit the floor. Mazibuga tends to her patient, but it's no good. She's brought the ECG machine. It tests if someone's heart is working correctly, but Mazibugo doesn't need it. Okay, so that one was a deterioration. So normally that would be the toughest, you know? Yeah. Yeah, just having to leave and you have to tell the family that a family member is no more. How do you feel about it? Um, I don't like it. I don't want to lie to you. I, I leave home and I feel that Maybe if we were dispatched earlier, like, you know, when you listen as to, no, we've called in at six o'clock and now it's only, we got the call at half past eight. They, they, they called in at six o'clock? Yeah, they are saying they called at six o'clock. A paramedic worker, Maria Mazibuku, ending that report by Paul McNally. The story was voiced by Masejo Rachlacha. The sound production for this podcast was done by Danny Boyson. Until next time, I'm Mia Malan. This was a Pegasus podcast.